It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday february 18th 2010 we're glad you're a part of the program we look forward to hearing from you my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight for another session on the Internet with our Bible study group, our Thursday night regular Bible study group, and we look forward to a good discussion. And we do look forward to a good discussion. Before we get into that discussion, though, we do have uh, a special uh, thing to talk about tonight. Uh, That voice that we heard bringing us into the program tonight is the voice of Chris Bates. It's also the voice that was heard in uh, the Tennessee legislature today. Chris is on the phone right now with us, and we wanted to talk with Chris. Chris, welcome. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. We, we wanted to talk with you just briefly here at the start of the program. We had, you had a kind of a special situation develop today, and you had a special opportunity. Yeah, I was asked by uh, State Representative Eddie Bass, who represents uh, Giles in Marshall County, and, of course, I live here in Marshall County. Uh, he had asked me, he had called me personally and asked me if I would be willing to come and lead the invocation there at the Tennessee State House, and, of course, that's just simply the opening prayer. Uh, I believe that the uh, Tennessee State Constitution uh, does acknowledge uh, essentially the God of the Bible as as the creator, Uh, and I I think it's also been the tradition and practice of the Tennessee State House to open every single session with an invocation, and, of course, they they, uh, do that with... Um, what they deem to be a Christian or a minister of the Christian faith. And that can be extremely broad. Uh, the term of that is extremely broad. But um, I, I, was, I was very honored to be able to be a part of that and go and lead the prayer. Uh, and it kind of dawned on me during the prayer. I wasn't nervous, really, when I stepped up to the podium to, to lead the prayer. But it dawned on me while I was leading the prayer that these, this was the State House of Representatives and that uh, they were there to represent the people of the various districts in Tennessee where they are. And, uh, and, and in essence, they're there representing the state of Tennessee. And in, in a very figurative way, I was uh, very fortunate to almost, if you would, lead the state of Tennessee in prayer pretty, this week. Pretty impressive environment there. Look, Jake, look, we've I've got, got the audio of that, Chris. Yeah, we're going to play the audio of you uh, giving the opening prayer there at the Tennessee State Legislature this morning. Here, and, uh, here, here, here we, we go. Here we go. Mr. Sergeant-at-Arms, about the members in the chamber, and close the doors. I hereby declare the House of Representatives of the 106th General Assembly of the State of Tennessee now in session. Will the members please stand? The visitors in the gallery please stand and remain standing through the Pledge of Allegiance. Representative Bass will introduce our Chaplain of the Day. Representative Bass. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm pleased to have with us today Chris Bates from Lewisburg. And then he goes on and gives Chris's uh, uh, impressive credentials and, and then, then Chris's prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, it is with humble hearts that we approach your throne of grace and mercy to thank you for this beautiful day and all of the blessings that we've received thus far. We continue to petition you for the things that you see that we stand in need of. How grateful we are to you for your grace and mercy that was displayed so beautifully in the sending of your only begotten Son, the Christ, who died on the cross for the remission of our sins. How thankful we are that you have blessed us with the opportunity and with the free will in reaching the blood of Christ through baptism for the remission of sins to be saved from sin. And for the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, we give you a humble thanks for that also. There are so many. They are innumerable. And we pray that those with which we have to do, we might be very swift to put them into practice in service to you. We're thankful for liberty and freedom, and we're thankful for the ideas that this country was founded upon, for those who are willing to bleed the ground red so that we might have freedom. We're thankful for the state of Tennessee and what it stands for. We pray your blessings, Father, upon our governor and also upon this legislative body that as they 
endeavor to serve the people of this state, that they would do so with humility, that they would do so with wisdom from above. We pray for the President and our Congress, that they might endeavor to serve the people also in enacting laws that would help us and striking down those that would hurt us, and in all things that we do collectively, if they are in harmony with your will, we pray that you would help us to stand in that. If they are against your will, we pray that you would defeat us in that. We pray, Holy Father, that as this legislative body is in session, that its purpose would simply be that, that would be in keeping with your will and serving the people of this state and advancing the cause of freedom here in this place. How thankful we are to you for your grace and mercy towards this country. We have so much. We have an abundance and pray that we would be willing to share that with those who have need. We pray, Holy Father, that as the days go, go by, that you would continue to bless this nation as that shining city on a hill. And if we've lived faithfully to you in this life, our petition is for a prayer with, for a home with you in heaven when this life comes to a close. These favors and blessings we pray in the name of Christ. And amen. amen. All right. Uh, there we go. Well, Chris, I'm telling you what, I, I, I'm convinced this, this move elevates you way up in the status of big time preacher. Uh, <laughs> No, well, I, I'm I only hope, teasing. I, I hope, yeah, no, I hope not. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, I'm sure that there were some things that you said in that prayer, Chris, that probably some of the listeners would disagree with. Uh, I mean, you were you you actually even mentioned baptism for the remission of sins in your prayer, and I, I appreciate you being able to incorporate those kind of things in your statement and your prayer. Uh, I remember one time uh, being at a wedding that you conducted. And you're the only preacher I ever knew that got the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in a wedding <laughs> ceremony. But I'm telling you what, Chris, you don't miss any opportunities to teach, and that's what we, we love you for that. Well, I thank you. Uh, you're, you're a real encouragement to me, and I love both of you. And You know, I, I'll tell you, uh, there was an old preacher, and he's dead now, William H. Lewis, and uh, and he was very influential to me. He took the time to study with me many years ago when I was thinking about preaching. And um, and he he made a point with me that is that has stuck with me all these years that you know, he never missed an opportunity to preach about the plan of salvation whether it was at a funeral whether a wedding whatever and I know that some even of our brethren have a problem with that they think it's it's us pushing something on someone but you know I only I, the older I get the the more I realize I have one life to live and one chance to get it right and it's something that I say especially the things that I say that are in harmony with the revealed will of God in the Bible. If, if something I say prompts someone to think more soberly and seriously about their soul and its situation, I'm just not worried about the criticism that might come from that. I, I know that I'm willing to stand for the truth and, and defend what the Scriptures teach, and, and if, if I have to uh, suffer anything for that, and if any of us do, uh, then so be it. That, that's, that's the promise of Paul to Timothy, that if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll suffer persecution. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. But I do want to say one thing, too. They, they gave this list of, of uh, you know, accolades and things like that before I led the prayer. I was really opposed to that. They asked me to write some of these things out, and, and I really didn't want that. I just simply wanted them to say that I was a gospel preacher and had been preaching for 10 years with the Main Street Church of Christ. But they, they wanted more than that. And uh, I actually watched uh, some videos from before of people who had, who had led the prayers there. And, I mean, their, their accolades were miles long. had written 11 books and had got this doctrine and that doctrine and all of these religious studies. Uh, I really didn't want that, but it was, it was uh, extremely humbling to be able to serve in that way today. Well, we, we appreciate you, and we appreciate you uh, for the things that you said there and the stand that you take for God's truth. We just wanted to – it's kind of a special day. Uh, you, I, I don't know. Probably most of our listeners do not know that the church here at College View has regular ongoing fellowship with you and supporting you in your preaching work sure. at the Main Street Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. And so uh, it, was a, it was a good day for you, and uh, we appreciate you, and we just wanted to talk about that briefly. Thanks, Chris. And, and I appreciate that fellowship. Have a good show, guys. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, so an interesting uh, day that, uh, that Chris was able to lead the prayer as the Legislative Assembly uh, began uh, their session in Nashville today. Well, we've got an interesting topic uh, of discussion tonight, Dad. Maybe we ought to go ahead and take our first break, Jake, and then it'll give us a little longer session to get into our topic. Uh, I think it's a question that's always on people's minds, but we'll talk about it. Let's, let's take our first break and we'll come All back right. to it. All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll get into the discussion right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. 
I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program. We're glad you're a part of it tonight. And let's get into the discussion planned for tonight. An interesting question, a question that has really puzzled a lot of people over time. Jacob, we uh, this is, as you said, it's, it's a puzzling question. It's a difficult question. It can even be an emotional one. But we want to talk tonight about people who never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will be their case in eternal destiny If they never were exposed to the truth, they never had a chance to hear and learn and obey the gospel, what will be the realities for them as as we uh, approach eternity? Uh, Can can we say definitively they are lost or they will be saved? uh, How how do we answer that question? That's what we want to deal with uh, and especially deal with the challenging question, will they be eternally lost even though they never had a chance to hear the message of salvation? And while the Bible does teach on this, it doesn't uh, state it explicitly. We've got, we, to, we've got to apply some principles. Got to draw some conclusions based upon what the Bible does say. All right, and so we asked your feedback earlier today on some important questions. Yeah, to our update list, and you can get on that list by sending us a message and, and just simply saying that you'd like to be on the list. But here's the questions that we ask. What attributes of God might be applicable in answering the question. In other words, what do we know about God, about his basic nature and character that would help give us an answer that we can deal with, an answer that we can can accept uh, concerning this question? And then question two along that line were what what are the ramifications if we say that some people who never heard about Jesus can still be saved? In other words, what would be the what would be all the complicating factors that would be thrown into the mix if we were to take the position that somebody way out there in the middle of nowhere, far removed from all other you know civilized influences, never heard about Jesus, and if we took the position now we're, we'll decide whether we can take this position, but if we did, what if we took the position and said they could still be saved even though they never heard about Jesus? What would what would that throw into the mix? What would that okay. what would be the complicators of that position? All right. And then and then later in the program we're going to deal with a, sort of an associated question that has to do with the need to be baptized in order to be saved. We've got a, we've got a video out on YouTube, Jacob, that's been out there for a long time, and a number of people have watched it. Uh, and we got a response. We get responses to those videos from time to time. We got one from a lady who said. She thought we were wrong when we were saying people must be baptized in order to be saved. And that sort of ties into this question of can you be saved without ever knowing about Jesus? We'll talk about that at the end of the program. All right. The number to call to be a part of the program as we discuss this important question is 877-381-4567. It's toll free. We'd love for you to call right now and get on the line so we can talk about this important question. 877-381-4567. Or you can send your emails to questions at collegeview.com if you'd rather Type out your response, but let us know your thoughts on this important question. Or if you'd like, you can join in the chat room with other listeners. The instructions on how to join the chat room are at the bottom of your screen. If you're watching us from Ustream.tv, join in with other listeners in the chat room, and we can include your comments from there. We look forward to hearing from you as we discuss the important question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? Will they be lost eternally? Well, let's talk about some of the attributes of God that would tie into this question. The first thing that that I would talk about God is that God is fair. God is a fair uh, judge, a fair and just judge. Um, You know, if you were going to go, if you had a trial before a court of men, Jacob, it'd be very important for you that you had a judge who, who, 
who was known for his fairness and justice, that he did things right, and that he that he that he never was uh, uh, somehow prejudiced, that he didn't go into a case with preconceived notions, that he didn't have some kind of an agenda that was contrary to your best interest or something of that nature. If you had a, a, a judge, you'd want him to be fair and impartial. In fact, in courts of men, if a judge has some sort of conflict of interest, uh, you know, he may recuse himself from hearing a case. Or sometimes, you know, uh, there are petitions made, please remove this judge. This judge is not in a position to hear this case fairly. So it's very important to have a fair judge in a trial. And uh, that's you, that way you know that what is decided will be the right thing. To, that you, you just leave it in the judge's hands. He's going to make the right decision. Yeah. And with God, we know that – uh, so in the case of eternal judgment, with God, we know that he is fair and just. And the Bible tells us that that is so. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, it says there is no respect of persons with God. And Genesis chapter 18, verse 25 says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer, of course, is obviously yes. By his very nature, he is fair and just and will do things uh, that are right. And so I would argue that while we may not be able to answer every question or foresee every situation or every contingency that may come up with various individuals, the whole world will stand before the Lord in judgment. We can have the confidence that God will do what is right. That is in his nature. Um, uh, Randy in Jackson, Missouri, wrote in and said concerning these attributes of God that, will, that, that are important in at answering this question. He said, truthfulness, mercy, grace, holiness. He said, my belief is that everyone is responsible for recognizing God according to what Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1. If they respond to seeing God in creation, he will send someone to them to give them the gospel. If they're not capable of seeing God in creation, for instance, babies, the mentally disabled, then God is graceful. And so I, I never really heard it said the way that Randy says it there. But said, to the people who are capable of looking at nature and seeing that God is there, and he references Romans chapter 1. If they see that there must be a God based upon the creation that is all around them and they want to know about that God, Randy says he believes God will will make it so that they can learn about him. If they're incapable of recognizing that there is a creator by looking at nature, he says babies can't do that. The, middle, the mentally challenged are not capable of doing that. Then God would be gracious to them. They wouldn't be held accountable, so to speak. I never heard it said that way, but I think it kind of makes a, a point. All right. Um, and – you know, he references Romans chapter 1 where it says that God has made himself manifest through creation. Uh, verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the Gentiles, even in the Old Testament, when they didn't have the benefit of, uh, of God's revelation through Moses and, and, the, and the prophets, they still could understand that there was a God and a need to yeah. obey him. Yeah. You know, you, uh, I've used an illustration like this before, Jacob. If you were to, if you were to look at a watch, for instance, if you if you were to look at this watch that I've got on my wrist, uh, it's obvious to me that somebody made that watch. I mean, all I have to do is look at it and see its intricate workings, and and I could say it is very obvious to me that somebody made that watch. Now, if I begin to investigate, I can find out more. It has a name on it. It tells where it was assembled, and if I if I care enough, I could go further and find out more about how it was made, who, where, when, what methods were used in, in the making of it. And so I look at the watch and I say, somebody made that. I want to know who it was. Well, the same thing is true about creation. You know, if, if we look at creation and we can very obviously see there must be a creator, then we begin to ask questions. We can get answers. God has revealed himself through nature enough so that we can know that he exists. But we can find out specifically about him by going to his word. So if I, as Randy says, if I see his reality in nature, I can investigate and I can find out about him and what he wants me to do. Uh, and so that all goes to the principles or characteristics, attributes that Randy mentioned, truthfulness, mercy, grace, and holiness. I think you're right, Randy. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address you use is questions at collegeview.com. If you're not in the chat room now, follow the instructions on your screen to go to our show page 
and you can join in the chat room there. And the chat room is open to those who have no do not have a username. If you've not logged in, you can still make a comment. Along those lines, we have an anonymous listener who has said he is good, referencing God, and uh, God is good, and God does the right things. It is his nature, and he will do the right thing uh, on the Day of Judgment. Exactly right. Now, there's another aspect to this, and, and that is that we all have the problem of sin. All of us have sinned. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All of us sin and come short of the grace of God or glory of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. So, I mean, that that's where we are. And, our, and it's important for us to realize that those who are punished in eternity are going to be punished not because of some lack of hearing the gospel. They're going to be punished for sin. Sin will be the reason why people will pu- be punished. And and there's a, sort of an argument that might go this way. Um, what about a man who is drowning? And there's nobody there to throw him a life preserver. And he drowns. Why did he drown? Well, he drowned because he was in the water over his head and he couldn't swim. He, he, he didn't drown because there was nobody there to throw him the life preserver. Now, if somebody had been there to throw him the life preserver, it might have changed the outcome possibly, but he drowned because he was in the water over his head and he couldn't swim. If we are lost eternally, we're going to be lost because of sin. That's the wages of sin, and we all sin. We need to understand it. Aaron wrote about this. I don't know if you've got his email there. I, I do. He has an excellent explanation of what you just said. He said, before we talk about those who have never heard the gospel, we need to make sure why we understand why people are lost. They are not lost just because they reject the gospel. They are lost because they have sinned whether they have heard the gospel or not. When Jesus came into the world, it was not a world that was safe and happy in ignorance. It was a world in darkness and lost in sin. He came into the world to save people from perishing, not to create the opportunity for them to perish when they would otherwise have been saved, John 3, verse 17. And he goes on to list some passages that talk about ignorance. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 8 says that some of those punished with everlasting fire will be those who did not know God. Acts 3.17 says that sins committed in ignorance still require repentance and conversion, uh, also verse 19 in Acts 3. Acts 17.30 says that God at one time overlooked certain sins of ignorance, but now commands repentance, clearly inferring that ignorance is not now an excuse, even if it once was. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says that his former conduct as a persecutor was done ignorantly in unbelief, Nevertheless, that conduct still had to be washed away, Acts 22.16, for Paul sure. to be saved. Sure. Ezekiel 3.18 and 33.8 say that a wicked man who is not warned will still die in his iniquity. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 says, uh, When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. And it goes on to say, just like the man in the next verse, who was warned and did not change. So, in other words, even if he wasn't warned, he's going to be lost in his iniquity. Matthew fifteen fourteen, Jesus said that men, Jesus said that when the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. The one who followed didn't avoid the ditch just because he couldn't see it. And in Acts eleven verses thirteen through fourteen, we are told that God instructed Cornelius, who was who was ignorant of Jesus. The sin for Peter, who would tell him words whereby he could be saved. Clearly, Cornelius was already lost in his ignorance and in need of salvation even before he heard the words. All of those are great arguments, and I think Aaron has really nailed that down. And uh, I think that that is the key point. Sin is the problem. Now, the gospel is the solution to sin, but if there's somebody off in some part of the world and, and he didn't get a chance to hear the gospel and he ends up being lost, he's going to be lost because he's a sinner. That's what causes people to be lost. Now, we could add some other things to that, Jacob. So so we know God is fair and just, uh, and we know that he has revealed himself. It's possible for men to know that he exists just by looking at creation, and if they see the reality of him in creation, they can do some searching and find out more about him. It's not hard, especially in this day and time, to find out information about God. It's very accessible. Sin is the problem. If people lost, they're going to be lost because they are sinners. But we could add to that story that really God wants everybody to be saved. 
That's one of the attributes of God that we're certain of. All right, we are certain of it, and many in the religious world are not certain about it. Many believe that God does not want all to be saved, but the Scriptures are very thorough in explaining the fact that God does want all to be saved. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, talking of God, says that he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. Numerous other passages could be cited that teach the same thing. Second Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 uh, tells us what extent God went to so that he could make this salvation possible. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's right. And in the first century, disciples were commissioned to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Colossians 1 verse 23 says that they had accomplished their mission. Colossians 1 23, Paul said, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I think you could argue from what the scripture is telling us there, that at some point in everybody's past ancestry, God was known. The message of salvation was available. In other words, I, I don't know much about my ancestors 5, 10, 20 generations ago, but I believe that we could conclude that all of us in our past, our ancestors knew about God and knew what God expected of them. Because actually, we can all trace our ancestry back to Noah. And certainly, then at that point, there's a commonality. Everybody knew about God uh, after the flood. And so that, that knowledge of God has been available. Now, it, it obviously didn't get passed down faithfully in many places and many times. But uh, God wants everybody to be saved. And he's, he's made that salvation message available and it, and even in the first century, when they didn't have near the means of communicating that we have today, they did a, an effective job of getting it out there so that anybody who wanted to know it could know about it. All right. We'd like to hear from you. We've basically established the principle that the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned. Therefore, all have earned the wages of sin and all deserve uh, the punishment. And as Aaron uh, mentioned to us from Texas uh, that those who are lost are not lost because they've not heard. They've, they're lost because they have violated the will of God, and uh, the, the violation of God's law requires a punishment, and that's God's nature. So we want to talk about it on the other side of the break then. What are the ramifications of, uh, of us concluding that someone could be saved without hearing the gospel? Yeah, we'll talk about that because I do think that that helps us answer the question. But, but just in summary, what we've said so far uh, God's fair and just. Whatever God does, will, it will be right. We know that God has revealed himself and made knowledge of him available to mankind. We know the real problem is the sin. And if somebody's lost, you can blame sin. Don't blame God or the failure of the gospel. If they're lost, they're going to be lost because of sin. But God wants all to be saved, and he's made that salvation available in Christ. All right. We're going to take a break, get this week's bullet point, and then we'll continue the discussion right after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after these messages. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. No one can dispute that we live in the most prosperous time in history. In fact, ours is the most prosperous nation in the world, and we are the most materially blessed people of all time. No other group of people, living or dead, has ever enjoyed the advantages we possess. Lesson one, be thankful. The problem, of course, is that these blessings of money, material possessions, leisure time, and personal liberties will become our spiritual downfall. Consider some of the challenges that are presented by our prosperity. First, it's easy to become consumed by the ambition to obtain more and more. Solomon, perhaps the richest man who ever lived, wrote, quote, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. With abundance comes an increased appetite for even more. Also, this desire for more worldly goods presents a whole new array of temptations. Paul warned that, quote, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Our news is filled with reports of corruption at the highest levels of government and business. The underlying cause is the love of money. 
And note that you don't have to be rich to suffer these temptations. You only have to want to get rich, as the text says. Many have suffered the ruin and destruction, both physical and spiritual, of such desire. As the pursuit of riches and possessions continue, men invariably allow God to be crowded out of their lives. Many a Christian has neglected his spiritual duties while salving his conscience with the excuse, I must earn a living. God, on the other hand, has promised that if we will put his kingdom first, quote, all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6, verse 33. May we all have the faith to trust him in this way. Our prosperity is a huge spiritual threat. Be careful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Thank you for being a part of it. A good discussion going on in the chat room. If you're not watching the chat room now, you can join that chat room by following the instructions on your screen. Go to our show page. The chat room will be there, and you don't even need a username tonight. You can join in the discussion there. We'll take up some of the comments in the chat room as we go along uh, but we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you on the phone at 877-381-4567 or over email, questions at collegeview.com. Well, we got we, we want to talk about now this this idea. What would be the ramifications? Well, I, I think we, at least my conclusion based upon the principles we've already stated, Jacob, is people got to hear the gospel if they're going to be saved. They're lost in sin, and the solution to sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So people have got to hear if they're going to be saved. What would what would be the all the ramifications if we said, well, some people could be saved without hearing the gospel? Uh, what would be some of the some of the ramifications of that? And we've got a couple of pretty good emails here that I thought tie into that, Jacob. I got one here from Randy. Uh, he goes, uh, Randy in Jackson, Missouri, went on to answer question two by saying, the ramifications would be Jesus is a liar. There's no need to preach the gospel. In fact, we would be sending people to hell because we give them the opportunity to refuse Christ by telling them the gospel. If you can be saved, if you never heard, we'd be better off not sending missionaries. What Paul wrote in Romans 1 is not true. Now, he didn't expound upon any of those points. I think we could expand upon each one of them. For instance, he said, if, if you can be saved without knowing about Jesus, then Jesus is a liar because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Well, that'd be a lie. If you could come to the Father and not knowing of Jesus or go through Jesus to get to the Father, that would be a lie. Yeah, sure would. Right? Yeah. So Randy's right. Furthermore, he says, uh, the, the next two observations he has, I think, go together. There's no need to preach the gospel. In fact, and I agree with him, if you could be saved, if a person could be saved without knowing about Jesus, we'd actually be doing them a disservice to tell them about Jesus. Because once we told them about Jesus, then they would become obligated to accept that truth and, and, and respond in obedience. Whereas if we had left them alone in their ignorance, sure. they'd have been, they, they, they wouldn't have had that accountability. We'd, and so Randy says, if you can be saved having never heard, we'd be better off not sending anybody out to preach the gospel. Right. I think that's exactly right. You know, think about that. Why, why do we have the Great Commission? Why take the gospel to every creature under heaven? If they're already saved or can be saved without hearing that gospel message, then we'd be better off to leave them in their ignorance. In fact, I wish I was still in ignorance. You know, if you can be saved that way, it'd be a lot easier. We, would, we wouldn't have to worry about anything. We wouldn't have to do anything. Just stay ignorant. All right. Right? Along those lines, Jonathan has sent in this response to question number two. If it is true that you can be saved by simple ignorance of Jesus, then the command of the Great Commission that Jesus gave in Mark 16 would simply be a method to introduce people to a possible life of damnation. The best approach would be for a Christian to hide the knowledge of the Bible and Jesus' saving blood to himself. The worst thing you could ever do is teach your children about Jesus. However, this simply is not what the Bible teaches. There are two very clear passages in my mind that point this out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-8 through 8 says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you her troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not, do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would be interested to hear the original language interpretation of verse 8, but it appears to me that Paul identified two distinct groups of people who will be lost, those who don't know him and those who do not obey him. 
An Old Testament passage solidifies this. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 11, tells of a watchman for a city. Verses 3 through 4 tell of the individuals who do not obey, which they say uh, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he uh, sounds the trumpet and warns the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, uh, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Now verse 6 tells of the person who had no prior knowledge, Quote, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any away or takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. There are two lessons to this. Uh, one, it shows the importance of the watchman, uh, that being the Christian in our, exam, our case, uh, in warning the people. Second, it also states that whether the people were warned or not, they were still taken away. The people could not be saved from the sword due to their ignorance. That's right. So whether they were warned or not, they still are taken by the enemy. They still are lost in the battle. And I think that's a a good point. He makes it, and Aaron had earlier made it in in his comments. I like that passage that he referenced, and and actually it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. To you who are troubled with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I think that's the sort of the bottom line. And that is actually what our question asks. What about people who don't know about God and who never obeyed the gospel because they didn't know? Well, I think that passage answers the question. Now, it's not, it's not a very emotionally easy answer to accept, but I believe that is the answer. Uh, Acts 17, verse 31 says, Acts 17, verse 31 says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Notice that, all men everywhere. That's pretty inclusive, right? He now commands all men everywhere. He doesn't leave anybody out. All men everywhere to repent. Because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance to all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So I think that the answer to our question is in in those verses. Again, I don't think it's necessarily an easy answer for us to accept, but it's a necessary one for us to to deal with. Now, what, what else? Well, I see a lot of comments in the chat room, Jacob. Dean has mentioned it, and some others as well in the chat room have mentioned what this really does is really put a huge burden on us to get the gospel message out. We know about salvation in Christ Jesus, and we are like that watchman in Ezekiel 33. We know the danger is there. We've got to sound the warning. If people heed the warning, they'll be spared from the punishment coming. If 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 they refuse the message, then that's their blood will be on their own head. But we got to be getting the message out, and I think that's the this question. What really troubles me most about this question is is the idea that we are obligated, we have a huge responsibility, and we have got we have got to be getting that message out there. All right, there's some discussion in the chat room as well about the definition of sin. Do, does one have to have a knowledge of sin? Of uh, of the law in order uh, to be accountable to the law is it in other words is it a sin for me to do something if I don't know that that act in and of itself is a sin is for instance would it be a sin for me to steal if I do not know the law of God that says do not steal uh, well I, I would believe yes I believe it is a sin even in other words uh, it's certainly possible to sin in ignorance I don't know but, but I don't know that it's a sin and I do it, but it's still a sin when I do do it. I believe that uh, ignorance is not an excuse in that matter. Well, it's not an excuse in uh, in physical laws today. For instance, right. if you're driving 55 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour mi- speed limit zone and you didn't see the sign that said it's a 30-mile-an-hour speed limit zone and the police officer pulls you over, you will get a ticket regardless of your knowledge of what the speed limit is. Exactly right. Uh Aaron mentioned this in, in his email about uh, you know the, the the concept of ignorance of the law. Paul, when when Paul was persecuting Christians, he said that he did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
First Timothy chapter one, verse 13. He said, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he was ignorant of what was right. In fact, over in Acts, he said that he thought that he ought to do many things. Let's see. Uh, in Acts chapter 26, verse 9, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. So Paul thought he was doing the right thing. He was ignorant of what was right, and he and he had it. he even had a good conscience in that. In Acts twenty three verse one, he said he'd done uh, he lived in all good conscience before God until this day, including the time he was putting Christians to death. But in his case, what did he have to do to be forgiven? Well, Ananias told him, as is quoted in Acts twenty two verse sixteen, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He still he had to respond to the gospel. He had to obey the gospel call in order to be saved from his sins. Even though he did it ignorantly and with a good conscience in ignorance, he still had to be baptized for the remission of sins in order to have that washed. And here's the here's the uh, another scriptural answer to that. Romans chapter three verse twenty three says, "All have sinned. Therefore, everyone, regardless of their knowledge of God's law, has sinned. Therefore, sin is not prerequisite upon our knowledge of the law." In other words, uh, I think that's a good answer. If here's uh, way off in some remote, distant place, there's a guy who never even heard of the Bible, much less what the Bible teaches. He never he never even knew there was a book named the Bible, uh, and he didn't know any of its teachings, and he and he'd been living his life with complete uh, you know uh, inaccessibility to these truths. Would he be a sinner? Well, Romans three twenty three says he is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we have to couple that again with Romans 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. Yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's a tough question. It's not an easy one for us to emotionally deal with. And, and, but again, to me, the, the, the biggest problem is that it, when you think of all of this, it really puts the onus on us to be busy teaching the gospel. Because those people are going to be lost if they didn't hear about Jesus Christ. We're the watchmen. Of, of Ezekiel 33, we got to get the message out. Let them decide what they'll do with it after they've heard it. But our job has to be get that message out there so they have the opportunity to hear it. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Our breaks are a little bit disjointed tonight, but I think this would be a good time to take one. We'll look through some comments in the chat room, and then we'll get into another uh, question that is related uh, from a listener named Sue, uh, who viewed our Ustream video on baptism. So we'll take a break, and then we'll continue the discussion on the other side. If you've not joined in, why not give us a call or send an email during the break? We'll continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. 
Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. This program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about the College U Church of Christ by visiting thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. If you're just joining us, we're talking about those who have never heard the gospel. What will be their eternal destination? Uh, we'd like to hear from you over the phone or over email tonight. Uh, one quickly, one email from Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee. He offers the verses in First John chapter two, verses three and four. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I think that goes to the point of knowing God. We only really know God, and we can only honestly say we know God when we keep his commandments. Uh, exactly right. Thank you, Arthur. All right, we have an, an email from a listener named Sue who uh, has some issue with uh, what we taught in a Ustream video on baptism. Yes, uh, and I'm trying to find out. Here's, here's her email. Let me real quickly read this because we put this out earlier to our update list as well. Uh, she said, I was listening to your discussion concerning do you need to be baptized to be saved. Jesus taught us how to follow him and to be baptized as part of showing our Father that we do believe in him and love him and want to follow him. But the comment you... But the comment that you have to be baptized to be saved is a little strong. Uh, she references Luke 23, verses 41 through 43, the, the uh, uh, case of the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. I won't take time to read all that, but she says the words of the th- above are the words of the thief of the cross to Jesus. Jesus promised him, today you shall be with me in paradise. We can probably safely say that this man was not baptized, but I'm sure he was saved. And then uh, she references John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And also she says, what about the souls that passed on to the Father before Christ walked on the earth? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the list goes on and on. What about the people who repent at the time of their passing from this earth to be with the Father you think that God is not going to forgive them and not save them because they were not baptized? Yes, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is wonderful, beautiful, and important step of following our Lord and Savior. But but a must to be but but question mark a must to be saved? No, I believe you are mistaken. All right. So I, th- I think she takes the position clearly that baptism is a good thing to do, but not a necessary thing to do. Uh, Let's talk about that. First of all, I think we can talk about the thief on the cross pretty quickly. We've dealt with this question before, Jacob. Certainly we have. Uh, the thief on the cross lived under a different time than we live today, and uh, the instruction to be baptized for the remission of sin had not been given uh, to those who would believe in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. On the other hand, it has been given to us in mar- passages like Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And Romans chapter 6 tells us about baptism and what it symbolizes for those who believe in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Our baptism is symbolic of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and it uh, is representative of our belief in that. Uh, People prior to Christ's death could not be baptized into Christ's death, and uh, then be resurrected to walk with him in newness of life. Exactly right. All right. So the thief lived under a different time. Basically, the thief lived before the law of Christ went into effect, and the thief lived in a time when he had personal, face-to-face access to Jesus. You know, if Jesus were here today face-to-face, he could tell us we could be saved on any basis. He could just say, when he was here, the thief on the cross is not the only one who, who obtained the forgiveness of sins directly from Jesus. Yep. He, Jesus, how many times in the life of Jesus did he say to different ones, thy sins be forgiven thee? It wasn't just to the thief. But he's not here in person today. And so the only way we can know about salvation is to go to his word and find out what are the conditions that are set forth there. We live under this time. All right. Aaron uh, sent in this email, the response. Uh, he said, I believe that the thief probably had been baptized because he came to the cross with some understanding already of Jesus' kingdom. He references Luke 23, verse 42. But it doesn't matter because we don't live under the same system that the thief did. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. The thief is no more example than is the rich young ruler, but, prob- but nobody talks about how they want to be saved like Jesus told the rich young ruler. Yeah. 
Exactly right. Okay. So again, uh, the thief on the cross. I think that one's pretty easy. That that's pretty easy to answer. I, I I don't understand why that keeps coming up, but that 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 always comes up when the question of baptism is asked. The thief on the cross always comes up. But to me, that's one of the easiest things to answer. Yeah, and I don't even like to talk whether or not he's baptized. Who cares? As Aaron mentioned, you know, but she mentions those in the Old Testament. I'm sure she believes that people in the Old Testament were saved, like Moses and Elijah. Uh, how were they saved? They were saved. She's, the, her point is they weren't baptized. Right. But they were offering sacrifices. That's right. Does she say we need to offer sacrifices as well? Yeah. Uh, that that verse in Hebrews that, that Aaron mentioned, Hebrews 9, uh, look at verse 15. For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a test of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead; otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. So the the law of Jesus Christ, including baptism for the remission of sins, didn't go into effect until after he died. He was obviously still alive when he told that to the thief on the cross. So that passage answers that. But it, but this passage also tells us that Jesus's work on uh, uh, his atoning sacrifice on the cross was redemptive to people who lived before. Now, they didn't live under the law of Christ, which said they should be baptized for remission of sins. As you said, Jacob, they lived under a law that required animal sacrifices. But if they obediently served the Lord, then they were saved. We got an email from uh, Johnny in Ellettsville, Indiana. Go ahead. He says, as to the question about those of the Old Testament, many fail to see the blood of Christ flows both ways from the cross, backward to save those who are faithful to keep God's decrees of their day, and forward to save those who obey the gospel today. Take a read of Hebrews 9, verse 15, which, which you did, did, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Revelation 1, 5. Let's see how that addresses this. Uh, there it says, this, this revelation is from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, and him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So there's the foreword, and then the backward he referenced Hebrews chapter 9. Yeah, okay. Very All good. Right. Thank you, Johnny. So, uh, again, thief on the cross, I think that one is pretty easy to answer. Uh, I think it's also pretty easy to answer concerning those who died under the Old Testament time period. I think we've addressed that. She asked, what about all the people who repent at the time of their passing from this earth to be with the Father? You think God is not going to forgive them and not save them because they were not baptized? So here's the, the question is, what about someone, Jacob, on their deathbed? And they want to be saved. You know, here's this person in his very dying breath says, you know, acknowledges Jesus Christ, confesses him and faith in him, uh, has a penitent heart, repents of his sins. That person not going to be saved. What would you say about that? Well, I have to look at passages where Jesus told us what we need to do in order to be saved. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 really do describe the person who on their deathbed repents but has not been baptized. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, Go ye all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus said you need to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. The person on their deathbed who believes but has not been baptized has not met the conditions that Jesus set forth there in Mark 16. Uh, here's what Aaron says about this. He says, yes, I believe that God will not forgive those who reject his message throughout their lives and who do not follow his instructions for obtaining forgiveness, regardless of how much sorrow they may feel in their last hour. Because if they die not having been baptized, then they die without having been saved. First Peter 3.21, which says baptism doth also now save us. Without having their sins washed away, Acts 22.16, without being in Christ, Galatians 3.27, which by the way tells us we're baptized into Christ, Without ever having renewed their lives, Romans 6, verse 4, and without having their sins remitted, Acts 2.38. Those who have died with Christ in baptism have hoped that they will live with him, according to Romans 6, verse 8. Those who have not died with him in baptism cannot have that hope, and it isn't God's fault that they have ignored him. I appreciate Sue's willingness to write and ask a question, but I have to say that it's a little frustrating to hear people protest against the necessity of baptism by talking about what they think about some hypothetical situations. I wish that they would address the passages that actually talk about what God says concerning baptism instead of asking, what about this? What about that? I, I, I think that's really right. You know, you can ask all kinds of hypotheticals and you can really make, try to make a strong emotional argument. Uh, for years, Jacob, I've heard people say, here's this guy, uh, and he, he wants to be saved. And so they're taking him out to the river to baptize him. 
And just about the time he is just beginning to step his foot down into the water, and they're under a big oak tree, and a limb falls out of the tree, hits him, head kills him before he can be baptized in the water. You mean tell me that person's going to be lost? Well, that is a, is a scenario constructed for the purpose of evoking an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not in that situation. You know the truth, and you've had multiple opportunities to accept and, and submit to in obedience to the command to be baptized. What's that got to do with you? That doesn't really have anything to do with you. You know the truth, and there aren't any limbs falling on your head. Let's get baptized. You know, I, I, this is not original with me, but I like this response to it as well. For those, and Sue would probably be in the position, that all you need to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then you'll, you'll be saved. Well, the, the response to that is, what about the person who's going to a Bible study? where he's going to be taught that Jesus is the Son of God, and he would have believed after that Bible study. But he died in a car crash on the on way, the to, way the to that study Bible study to get the faith that she said would be all he needs to believe. In other words, he, he, he died without faith, but he was on his way and would have learned the truth that would have provoked faith in his heart, but he didn't get there. Yeah. Is he going to be lost? Yeah. You know, that goes back to the question that we dealt with at the start of the program. Right. What about people? It's who all did, connected. What, what, what about people who yeah. didn't know the gospel? Exactly yeah. right. John, Jonathan has sent in this response to the question uh, that Sue raises. She, he says, "I was listening to your discussion concerning do you need to be baptized to be saved? Jesus Christ taught us how to follow Him and to be baptized is part of showing our Father that we do believe in Him and love Him and want to follow Him. But the commitment, or, but the comment you have to be baptized to be saved is a little strong. Uh, Jesus." Uh, okay, this is uh, he, this is he's Sue. Quoting he's quoting Sue. Sue. I'm so, sorry. Yeah, he's quoting I'm Sue. sorry. Ju- uh, uh, here's what here's what uh, Jonathan says. Jesus promised the thief on the cross that today you shall be with me in paradise. We can. Pro- uh, no, that's he's just he just got a uh, he just requoting Sue's question there. I, th- I don't think he. Oh, he doesn't have any answer. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, Randy in Jackson, Missouri, said the issue is obedience. If a person knows about baptism but refuses or neglects to get baptized, they must answer to the Lord for that. He says, I realize you may not agree with me on this point. I'm not sure. I, I do agree. The, the issue is obedience. And certainly if a person knows and refuses or neglects to be baptized, they're going to have to answer for that. I agree with that. Now, the other side of that coin is what if a person didn't know about baptism? That was our discussion at the start of the program. And wouldn't that have been answered by some of the previous answers we gave that's exactly right about the gospel being exactly right uh we got another email from arthur in Kalioka who says after all has been said mark 16 16 still says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned in other words that's still there that's still the truth that's still the message i think you're right arthur i remember a story about a, a, a debate that was held years ago and yeah, the the preacher who was to do the debating, uh, who, who was going to defend the necessity of baptism for salvation, didn't show up. And so some some uh, elderly man who was a Christian was called upon at the last minute and without preparation. He was he was called upon to defend what the Bible taught concerning baptism for the remission of sins. And so he got up and read Mark sixteen sixteen, and he just sat down. Well, the the opposing preacher who was who was taking the position you're saved by faith and without baptism, he got up and he railed for a half an hour, and and then it was the old man's turn again, and he got up and opened his Bible and he said, "Yep, I thought so. It's still there," <laughs> and sat back down again. Well, and that's sort of the argument that Arthur's making there. Mark sixteen sixteen says what it says, and you, I mean, you can argue all you want, but you can't get around the truth of that statement. You really, I mean, you have to think about it now. If you wanted to tell someone that they needed to believe and be baptized in order to be saved, what? How would you say it? How would Sue say it? How would those who argue that we don't have to be baptized to be saved? How would they say what? Uh, the, then how would they explain that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Wouldn't they say something like, "He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved"? How could you say it any other way? Yeah, and and just, it's just amazing the, that people would try to. Aaron had a good summary in his email. Uh, baptism saves us. It washes away our sins. It puts us in Christ. It renews our life. Our sins are forgiven in baptism, uh, and and through that baptism we have hope. It, take away all of those things, and how can you say baptism is not necessary for salvation? No doubt, some of our listeners will disagree with our conclusions. If you do disagree, we'd like to hear from you. We're not uh, trying to be ugly here. We're uh, we're simply wanting to to look at the scriptures. And see what they have to say. So if you disagree with us, contact us anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Dad, yeah. we're out of time. Out of time. I think we had an important study. Uh, again, that first question we dealt with, people who never heard the gospel, what about them? That's a tough one. It's not a, It's not an emotionally easy one to deal with. I think 
for those of us who do know the truth of salvation, it should motivate us to get busy. All right. We appreciate you being a part of the program and hope that you benefited from our discussion tonight. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.